Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, where we take a piece of pop culture, something that you probably already know, and reveal the real history lurking just underneath the surface. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round, we're talking about Assassin's Creed, which is a video game that has been around for quite some time, more than a decade indeed. And what we're going to talk about today is a little bit about the games as a whole, we're going to be talking about the complex relationship modern society has with video games. We're going to talk about some of the cries and outcries against them. But also we're going to show how one specific game in the Assassin's Creed series called Assassin's Creed Unity is genuinely helping history right now. So if that sounds like fun, you need to listen to this. Even if you don't play video games, I assure you we're going to go and have some fun with this. So, right, Assassin's Creed. Funnily enough, the first one was called Assassin's Creed. And what they are is a... If you've heard of them, you're probably aware they're sort of historical video games. But actually... They came up with this interesting idea in the first one, but because they came up with it in the first one, they kind of stuck with it. And yeah, it has problems in certain versions of the game. So basically what it is, is you're not actually back in the oldie times. What's happening is you are in the modern era and you've been asked to basically go into this machine called the Animus, which extracts memories from your DNA, <clears throat> which is rubbish. Um, but, the, but the idea is that you're not in the past. What you're doing is you're playing your, one of your ancestors. And there is this group, the Assassins and the Templars. Now, I want to be quite clear. In the first game set during the Third Crusade, this all made a lot of sense. Because the assassins, the Hashashin, is literally a group of Ismaili Muslims which lived in modern-day Syria. Now, they're a very interesting group to talk about because 
When you're looking at the power playing of the Crusades in the Middle East, you obviously have the Christian states, then you have the Muslim states, but there are other power players in all of this. If you were, let's say, the king of Jerusalem, you didn't actually have the biggest army in the land. Those would have been supplied by the military orders. We'll come on to those in a moment. Now, if you were a, a Muslim leader, uh, you know, it, it could have been Turkic, it could have been Kurdish, you know, uh, Saladin during the Third Crusade, he's actually of Kurdish origin, he's neither an Arab nor a Turk, and there were various different power bases of Muslim powers, but they were all Sunni Muslim. And if you know much about Islam, you'll know that there was a split early on in the religion between the Sunnis and the Shias. Now, I am not going to go into all of that. The interesting difference between the split in, in Islam versus the split in Christianity is actually all the processes. And if you were to go into a, a mosque and actually pray, there would be no difference, which is very different in, let's say, Christianity, when you want to compare something like an Anglican church ceremony and a high Catholic ceremony. You, you can tell that they are different versions of the religion. So it, it isn't actually about the bells and smells, as my friends used to refer to the, the sort of Catholic ceremony. They're all Catholic, I'm not. It, it's not so much that, it's actually more about you know where the voice of authority comes in, in Islam. However, there are further subsets and they are pretty much hated. The one thing that Sunnis and Shias can agree on is they really don't like the Ishmali Muslims. So the Hashashin are kind of one of the reasons why the Ishmalis still have a bad reputation. They were led by the Old Man of the Mountain was his title. And indeed, you are literally an assassin in the assassin's group with the Old Man of the Mountain in the first game. My men do not fear death, Robert. They welcome it and the rewards it brings. Show this fool knight what it is to have no fear. Okay, with me so far? So this is all sort of relatively accurate. Now, of course, their castle is you know ridiculous and is designed so you can learn how to do sort of free-running parkour type stuff and jump around and all that stuff. But again, they weren't big in numbers, but they had these sort of two special things that made them a consideration by both Muslim and Christian powers in the Middle East during the Crusading era, which for the record is sort of like the 1100s and 1200s, those sort of two centuries, basically. First of all, they had their power bases in castles, just like the video game shows you. And like the video game shows you, they are sort of in an inhospitable area. They're quite often in mountainous areas or in the middle of deserts, which is a genius place to put a fortification if you're small in number, because you can survive on the small amounts of water and you can stock up quite easily on food if there aren't many of you. But if somebody wants to get you, then of course, if you march an army into a desert, you're going to have to feed and water all those thousands of troops. So it made these castles virtually impregnable. A bit more on that in, in a bit. So, first of all, they had very strong defences. And secondly, they had a disproportionate way of attacking. They didn't have an army, unlike the Kingdom of Jerusalem or unlike Saladin, but they did have these assassins. And literally, the word assassin, the modern word, comes from the Hashashin, which is this group of Islamic fanatics in the Crusading era. Now, they were particularly feared because they would basically lunge out at key figures and cut them with a poison dagger. Ah! 
So even if they didn't kill you with like a stab to the heart, you were likely to die from the poison on the dagger. And the assailants, the assassins, didn't seem to care whether they lived or died in the act of, of taking down their target. This is why they were so feared. And what's interesting is they attacked everybody. This is why they were reviled by the Muslims as well as the Christians. You might think, ah, oh, you know, one great big Muslim happy brotherhood, surely they're going to fight the Christians. No, not necessarily. There are lots of myths around them. And what's interesting is most of the information we get is from their enemies, be they Christian or Muslim. But what is pretty clear is they were feared and they were highly effective at what they did. That is who the assassins were. Now, as I mentioned, in the Kingdom of Jerusalem, you had the military orders. So I'm sure you all know what a monk is. They stay in a monastery and they pray to God and basically they, they, they don't get married and quite often they sort of like uh, do illuminations in books and things like that. The military orders are basically monks, only instead of all the praying and writing, they do fighting. They are, in essence, the Christian uh, religious fanatics. Only, uh, rather than poison daggers, they'll literally be a knight. You know, the whole, look, I am aware, if you really know your stuff, chain mail isn't a thing. It's male armor, okay? There's a big difference between the complex mesh of that armor and a metal chain, okay? If you just look at them up close, you'll see one is considerably more skillful to make than the other. Again, let's not go there, but for the purposes of just getting, everybody knows what I'm talking about. We're talking about the chainmail armor, talking about a guy on a horse with a lance and a sword. That's what they looked like. Now, the military orders, it's plural, military orders. The two biggest ones in the Middle East were the Hospitallers, the Knights Hospitaller, and the Knights Templar. And there was also the Teutonic Knights, which were the, the very much the third party in the Middle East, but they were a big deal in Northern Europe. There was, at the same time, there's something called the Northern Crusades against pagans in places like Estonia. The Crusades are a big, complex conversation. It's, it's why I've actually written a book about them called Deus Volt, A Concise History of the Crusades, because when I wrote it, there was literally no good book that talked about all the Crusades. Most of the introductory books talked about either the first one or the first four or only in the Middle East. And it's like, there's more going on than that. So anyway, the fact that this game has got the Knights Templar, or the Templars as they're sort of nicknamed and used in the, in the game, versus the Assassins is not an unrealistic scenario. And both powers were around in the late 12th century, which is when this is all set. And why did this game get a sequel? Because, well, first of all, creeping around being assassins kind of cool, but what they spent a lot of time and effort on, the company behind it is a company called Ubisoft or Ubisoft, and they really brought to life medieval Jerusalem. And, you know, just walking around the streets, people were sometimes talking in their native tongues. And, you know, the graphics at the time, I'm not saying they were the best ever, but as you were walking along in this 3D environment, it was highly immersive. And it was better than almost any TV documentary in terms of saying this is what Jerusalem was like under the, under the Crusaders, um, without having to, to tell you anything, really. So that was the first one of the games. Then the second one, funnily enough, um, called Assassin's Creed 2, that was actually set a, about 300 years later in Renaissance Italy. So suddenly we've got Florence, we've got Venice, and we've still got the Assassins fighting the Templars. Now, this is where it becomes a problem, because by then the Templars had been disbanded. They were 
charged with heresy in the early 1300s by, well, but partly by the church, but mainly by the King of France. And again, cutting a long story short, the last grand master, the last leader of the Templars was burnt in Paris. His name was Jacques de Molay, and he was burnt in Paris, and he was later on considered kind of a martyr to this, but that pretty much ended the military orders, well, at least the Templars' military order. I don't want to get too bogged down this because we'll spend forever talking about the Crusades, but the second one was set in the Renaissance. And what I loved about that one was one of the things you could do was basically kit out your home. Well, how do you do it? In, in a modern video game, that would be like, buy a sofa or, you know, get a car. You can't really do that in a Renaissance one. So what did they do in this game? They had lots of Renaissance art that you could buy. And this just tickled me. The teenage kids around the world were suddenly going, oh yeah, well, I've got the birth of Venus. Have you got the lady with the ermine, you know? And it's sort of like, it's teaching them art history through a video game. This is why the, the Assassin's Creed games uh, you know, have a special place in lots of people's hearts because they put considerable time and effort into maybe not making it 100% accurate because, well, I mean, let's face it, in Assassin's Creed 2, you meet up with Leonardo da Vinci and you get to fly a sort of, a glider around Venice. That never happened. It is obviously the glider is loosely based on a on a Da Vinci sketch, but it never was built. It never flowed or anything like that. But it's also a video game as well as a bit of history. But th this is an example where you sort of sneaking in a bit of history while you're doing something else is really important. You, you do get purists saying, look, if you want to learn about something, read a history book. And they are right, but they're not very realistic. Because how many people sit down and read a history book? Most people might watch a YouTube documentary, listen to a podcast. Hi, I'm in your ears doing it right now. <laughs> but what they also are doing is, you know, maybe watching a documentary on something like Netflix. And very quickly, the sort of uh, historical tone, the historiosity of it all starts degrading. I've been guilty of this as well. When I write my history books, I'm not saying that I get it right all the time. Sometimes new information pops up and proves what was said was wrong, or there's this thing that was repeated multiple times in reputable sources, but then somebody's worked out actually the first time it's mentioned is 100 years after the events and therefore is probably made up. These things happen. I apologise. I'm not trying to spread fake news or anything like that. You are fake news. But that, that's the nature of it. However, when you're watching a documentary or a movie or a TV show, clearly some take the history more seriously than others. And also it needs to be recognised that even since the time of Shakespeare, you know, your job, if you're doing a TV show, if you're doing a show, a drama, your job is to tell a story first and worry about the history second. You know, if you look at something like Shakespeare's Richard III, it is a complete hatchet job on the reign of Richard III. He, he's uh, accused and shown to do multiple things we know he didn't do, but it kept the Tudors happy because they were the next ruling family. And yeah, it's, it's a great play, but just don't get your history from Shakespeare, just like you might not want to get your history from the Vikings TV show or all your history from Assassin's Creed. So the point is, as I've just shown you, 
it's sort of jumping into different time zones. Now, obviously, you do keep going back to the animus in the modern day and yada, yada, yada. But, uh, you know, it, it allows them to go anywhere in time. And we've had one set in ancient Egypt. We've had one Black Flag. Assassin's Creed 4 was considered, you know, one of the greatest ones because not only were you an assassin, you were a pirate too. Come on, pirate assassin? Does it get cooler than that? And is there any actual evidence of something like that? No, not at all. So, you know, they're playing far and loose at times because they're trying to entertain you. Same with a TV show and movie, etc. That's the, the sort of overview of Assassin's Creed. It goes to wherever it wants to go. And the reason why I'm doing one now is because the new version of Assassin's Creed is basically coming out now. It's called Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Perhaps you can swing that wee axe on your belt, but I doubt you've much talent for speech. And I think you can guess, we're talking about the Viking era, which is obviously before the Crusades. So they've been jumping backwards and forwards in, in time, depending on what interests them. So all this backwards and forwards with the video game times, although to be fair, for a long time they were moving steadily forwards. The first one, as I said, Crusades, then we got the Renaissance, and actually there were sort of three in the row, a row called sort of Assassin's Creed II, like Assassin's Creed II Brotherhood, for example, and they were all with the same assassin this time round. And they went to, for example, Ottoman Istanbul or Constantinople. And, you know, you could actually climb up things like the Hagia Sophia. So they, they kept picking really interesting times, but the third, the proper third one was actually one which was less well received, which was during the American War of Independence. So they were moving forwards and forwards and forwards. The ancient Egyptian one actually came in after a reboot. We'll explain why in a moment. But then we come to Unity, Assassin's Creed Unity, which is set during the French Revolution. And this is a really interesting one because by then, some Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Times, they were producing, there were two, three years between Assassin's Creed 1 and Assassin's Creed 2. You know, they took their time to make them, but as they were so hugely popular, they started churning them out. And when you also include things like the portable versions of some of these games, and some of the, sometimes you have things like app games as well, sometimes they're releasing two, three of these games a year. And so when we come to Assassin's Creed Unity, you can feel the pip squeaking. When it first came out, it had so many game-breaking bugs and graphical errors that it got terrible, terrible reviews. I encourage you, you might want to have a look at Assassin's Creed Unity bloopers or, or errors on YouTube or something like that. Literally, you're talking to some people where their, their face hasn't loaded. So you can see their eyeballs and teeth as they're talking to you completely normally. And suddenly we're in some kind of horror movie rather than just talking to the guy uh, who's trying to sell you some supplies or something like that. Now, like all of these games, you get to meet real people, for example. So a Robespierre, you know, the, the master po politician at the time of the French Revolution, if you're in Paris, it makes complete sense. What's going on? We may have gone too far in discrediting Robespierre. But funnily enough, also meet Napoleon too. So these sorts of things make sense and, and, and it gets people, you know, Napoleon you've definitely heard of, Robespierre, perhaps a little less well known. So again, it's sort of teaching you this stuff, you know, sort of drip dripping it into your eyeballs and ears, whether you like it or not. And the game itself was good when it worked, but the really critical thing is once again, you get this highly accurate display and layout of Paris. Well, to be fair, it's like any of these cities, it's not a perfect layout, but the you do get these sort of like perfect renderings of the buildings. See, I when I played Assassin's Creed 2, I absolutely loved it, but I'd never been to Florence. However, the Duomo, you know, the massive cathedral there, is one of the areas you can specifically do a, like a mini game where you have to, in essence, jump around it and never touch the floor. But I got to go round it. And so when I went to it for the first time ever, I knew its layout. And it's the same thing with other places in Florence as well. You know, my wife was watching me play it. I think at that point she was my girlfriend and she sort of, you know, she got really got into the buying the art stuff, but also she was sort of going, oh, you know, I, I recognize that bridge and so on and so forth. And at some point she goes, oh, you don't get to it that way. No, because they've had to compress the, the whole city to make it again into a game. So I'm not saying that uh, Assassin's Creed Unity was the one that got it right in terms about the layout of Paris. But what it did do is get things like Notre Dame Cathedral right. They literally went there and they did sort of like laser measurements. And this is important. And like I said, you know, we'll come to a bit where we, we talk about the sort of the good and bad of video games. You know, first of all, you are playing an assassin. These are rated sort of 15 or mature, however you want to phrase it. This is not something that a, a five-year-old should be playing. For starters, they're really quite complicated games. But you can imagine all the things I've just said. If you want to take them out of context, it's like, so you get to play a Muslim fanatic murdering Christians. 
Well, I mean, this is just an ISIS simulator, isn't it? No, that is absolutely not what the first one is. But if you want to take all those words, smash them together, you can cause some hysteria. You get a lot of people getting very upset about video games. Now, as you can see from the posters that we have displayed here, many games contain content that is deeply disturbing. Which is interesting because people got really upset about TV when it first came out. <gasps> you know, it's like cinema in your home, you know, or think of all the debauchery all the kids are going to see. It's going to, you know, rot their brains. It's going to show them too many murders. It's going to twist them. And I bet you feel growing up watching TV, you don't feel particularly twisted. But then again, you go back, you know, another 50 years from that and you get the birth of cinema. It's like, oh, you know, people ran out screaming when the train came towards them, uh, not realizing what it would do. And, you know, again, there was worries about the salaciousness of 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 cinema. So basically every time there's a new way to entertain yourself that's particularly popular with the younger people, the older people who don't quite understand it turn around and say, oh, yeah, this is going to kill you and it's it's yet to do that. Rock and roll has got to go. And go it does at KWK. We're all through playing rock and roll records. Now, if people want to turn around and, you know, here's another game that quite often gets sort of beaten around. You get something like Grand Theft Auto games, where, yes, they are very violent and sweary, and you're basically playing a criminal. But I would equate it to things like The Godfather. You know, you're watching a movie rooting for the bad guy and you want the bad guy to get away with it. This is why The Godfather is rated 18 in Britain, or I don't know, it would be an R in America. And it's the same thing with Grand Theft Auto. I've played all of the Grand Theft Autos, and I have never felt the need to steal a car or murder anybody, okay? I get it. Get them for what they are. They're, they are a fun bit of entertainment. They're escapism. And that's the thing that people don't quite understand. So the Assassin's Creed games have also had this sort of fair share of sort of being shouted at, you know, oh, you're assassinating people. But at the same time, they are actually teaching this history. And going back to Assassin's Creed Unity, while it was a broken game on launch, and you can absolutely argue about that, you know, if you're going to spend that much money on a game, it should work and work first time. That's a different conversation. Um, what, what it absolutely did was, you know, this attention to detail again. And I don't know if you've worked out where this is going, but uh, with great sadness, Notre Dame Cathedral was set on fire or accidentally set on fire, but started burning a couple of years ago. And the whole world sort of mourned it as it sort of was set on fire. There were no blueprints to Notre Dame. How do we ensure that we've got the right measurements of Notre Dame? And so, remarkably, this video game manufacturer went to the French authorities and said, we, didn't, we weren't expecting to do this, but we've accidentally preserved all the dimensions, all the layouts of the, of the cathedral in the game. You know, do you want the files? And so there's an example of how, you know, this modern technology is helping to preserve a medieval cathedral. Now, I've had a conversation. One of my friends is an architect. And the, the critical thing is the spire fell down. And there's a big debate of do you build it back the way it was? Because that's the style of, the, of what everybody wanted when it was being built. Or because it's gone, 
and it's going to be rebuilt anyway, do we do something different and modern? Now, my architect friend said, this was always meant to be fashionable, so you should do what is modern fashionable. It should be sensitive, you know, it shouldn't be like neon strip lighting on the top of, of Notre Dame. It should be sensitive to the building, but it should be its own thing. And I really, I didn't realize how passionately I felt about Notre Dame Cathedral Spire, but I, feel quite passionately the opposite way. It's like, no, I think you should rebuild it in the style it is because no matter how sensitive you are to it, it's going to look a bit funny, uh, you know, compared to the rest of it. If it's a bit more, if it's sort of far more modern rather than Gothic, for example. So moving on from Assassin's Creed Unity, the next one was called Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which got you to Victorian London. So you can see, you know, we started in the Middle Ages, uh, we've been all around the world, but you know, by the time you get to Syndicate, they're kind of, if they keep going, it's going to get sort of modern and a bit boring, to be honest. But also by then, the wheels were kind of falling off the franchise anyway. As I said, you know, Unity had lots of bugs and glitches in it, so it kind of paused for a couple of years, and then they went you know, way back. They they actually went to, um, well, uh, it was Roman ancient Egypt rather than truly ancient Egypt from like, you know, 4,000 BC or something like that. Um, but sorry, 2,000 BC, 4,000 years ago. It, 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 that's a thing in my head that can always happen. Sorry. And then the uh, most recent one, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, is set in uh, ancient Greece, which actually is a bit earlier than the Roman one. Uh, sorry, the Egyptian one, I should say. So yeah, so we, we've gone all the way back and these newer games are quite different from the originals. Obviously, using more modern technology, they, they're certainly prettier, but their map sizes are absolutely huge. You know, I, I mentioned, for example, Syndicate, you're running around London and that's about it. I mean, it's a big map, but with the Odyssey one, you've got various you know, Greek cities plus huge amounts of countryside. You can even go under the water. You can have ship battles and it's sort of really huge, epic scope. In fact, it's so big, I haven't bothered playing it. A few people have said it's kind of intimidating. You could spend 200 hours playing that game and maybe you haven't seen all of it. So yeah, I, I got better things to do than that. And now we come to Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So they've actually jumped forwards, give or take, about a thousand years from the ancient Greeks. But this is still comfortably before the Middle Ages, where the, you, you get the pickup of the original ones. And, you know, once again, you get to see absolutely amazing graphics. This is an example of some of the launch games. I'm sure you've all heard of like the PS4 and, you know, the Xbox and stuff like that. Well, we're now at the point of the PS5 and the many different iterations of the new Xbox. So in other words, bigger, better, faster, and therefore more impressive, sharper graphics. Uh, you've got sort of wonderful water effects and things like that. It it looks spectacular, and I'm not going to go into it. I've had a bit of a play around, but once again, you're in the tone of, you know, when you see the, the Viking longships. I've been lucky enough to go to the Gokstad Viking Longship Museum in Norway, uh, where they have multiple medieval Viking longships, you know, still beautifully preserved. And you can tell they've probably been to the same place because this isn't what people think a longship looks like, it actually looks like the ones that have been genuinely excavated. So clearly done their research there. You know, they've got war paint on, which again, the Vikings were known to have to try and look more fearsome. But, you know, I'm already starting to see the gamey bits and, and the bits where they've got to sort of play to 
you know, expectation and what people want out of the game rather than uh, necessarily being historically accurate. But what's great to see is absolutely nobody, at least so far, but I get the feeling nobody is going to have horns on their helmets. And that's where I'm going to sort of finish this off. I'm not saying I'm done yet. Don't worry. No, there's a little bit more. I'm going to talk to you about Vikings with horns and helmets, okay? I'm going to tell you this little bit and where it all came from and why it's a terrible idea. But just before I do, as I keep saying, I please, please, I encourage you to spread the word on this podcast. So this is you know, Condensed Histories. I've been working with Greg for years on it. And we're never quite sure how many years. I'm going to say four, probably four. In the middle of all that, I actually did another podcast called Neon, which I'm incredibly proud of, that used this format, the whole pop culture, let's show you some history behind it all. You know, do feel free, though. Those are still available. You can check them out. But... You know, Condensed History's always got hundreds of downloads. Neon got thousands of downloads. It was just about to sort of catch fire, but it just never quite got there. But we were getting substantially more people. So I know that this is popular. I know this is a format that people like. So please, please tell a friend, put a link on this on Twitter or Facebook. I'll obviously retweet you and make sure you tag me in. I'm at Jim Daduccio on Twitter. And, you know, it'd be great if we could get you know, up to a few thousand listeners uh, on the podcast. That'd be lovely. Anyway, back to Vikings and their horned helmets. So in the 19th century, the Victorians grabbed a lot of older history and sort of repurposed it for their own storytelling. So, for example, the Romans were all awesome, which is why you get all these, and you know, not not just in Britain, but you know, across the world, or particularly in the West and even America, you get all these sort of like mock Greek and Roman temple-y type things. Particularly if you look at like uh, Washington D.C., the Romans never went there, but you know, there's an awful lot of Doric columns and things like that. So it was very, very influential. And then we get to the Vikings, which everybody knew were pagan, and they were kind of turned into sort of the the savage noble. And there's lots and lots. Of paintings with them with huge wings on coming out of their, their their helmets because it made them look different. It made them look exotic, but definitely of a time gone by. But this was completely artistic license. And one of the things they did is put horns on the helmets, which look cool, but allow me to explain why you never want horns on your helmet. Because, okay, fine. You, you've got a horned helmet, but it isn't strapped to your chin. So what do I do? I swing my weapon at you, and even if I miss your head, I clip the horn, which is acting like a big old target, which knocks it off your head. Now you have no helmet, and my second blow kills you. So, you, you know, plan B. Okay, I put a little strap round my chin, and now it won't get knocked off. Great, you've basically now got two handles on either side of your head, so I can sort of grab one of them, shake your head around, and while you're shouting, get off, get off, I can stab you in the guts, and once again, you're dead. Nobody in history, they have, they have, actually, they have found a couple of sort of horn-like helmets from, this is from the Bronze Age in England. It is widely considered that they were for ceremonial purposes, but nobody has found a warrior's helmet with stupid appendages sticking out the side of them. And every single Viking helmet so far, basically, they might have cheek plates, which possibly they might have flipped up, which some people might have thought looked like horns or helmets, but absolutely not. 
a big sort of cow horn sticking out the side. That's just not a thing, okay? So look, Assassin's Creed has taken us into all these different areas. I don't know, depending on how inspired I am by Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I might do one specifically on that. You know, I've already whetted your appetite a little bit there about Vikings. But, you know, I think the key one there is a little bit about, you know, who were the Templars and who were the Assassins? Well, I'll kind of answer that question. And of course, you know, the amazing sort of good Good luck that Assassin's Creed Unity managed to, in its own way, help preserve Notre Dame Cathedral, a major achievement there. Thanks very much for listening and another podcast soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.